Hello, everybody. It is a great episode two week, post week, whatever you want to call the time that comes right after an episode, after the, the buzz is strong and everybody's talking a lot about this episode because, hey, it was a good episode. Arguably, it was a great episode. The early returns on IMDb certainly backed that up. It's a 9.6 right now, which would tie it for the fourth highest ever episode of Game of Thrones, along with Blackwater and the children. Those are the ones it's tied with. As and unusually for an early season episode, because most of the highest rated episodes are ones that come towards the climax. The climaxes tend to be more popular than the setup episodes, but people really like this episode. I really like this episode. I think most of us did. So we're going to have a lot of good things to say. And of course, we'll still have some criticisms as well. There was a major but expected death, a major but surprising death, and a major but expected undeath. There were other deaths, as usual. This is Game of Thrones, after all. But the amount of giants was unusual. Like the first episode, Home, which was this, the title of this one, was largely focused around events in the north with King's Landing and an exterior kingdom joined by Bravos and Marine. In episode one, the exterior kingdom was Dorne. And this time we got the Iron Islands. Both episodes ended with Jon Snow. Let's talk briefly about the title to the episode. Again, that's Home. How it, re- how it relates to the episode. Bran sees his home, the past of it anyway. Mm-hmm. Theon declares that he's going home. Euron arrives home. John comes home from death. And of course, Cersei is stuck at home, and Mira doesn't feel at home. <laughs> so, hello and welcome to another episode of History of Westeros. Uh, we are joined this week, as we are every week in our Book to Show episodes by Lady Gwyn and Yoke Boy of Radio Westeros. Welcome back, guys. Hey, good to be here. Yeah, really glad to be back. I assume you guys liked the episode uh, more than episode one, or did you maybe like episode one more? Uh, I think this was the best episode in a while. It's definitely my highest favorite ability rating in quite a while. (laughs) Cool. I agree with you, as evidenced by my presence on this episode. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Yoke Boy? Yeah, I agree with Lady Gwyn. It's not only the best of the two, but it's the best for a while. So it was uh, really good, quite fulfilling. Well, yeah, it's good to have Ashea back for this episode as well. Some additional insight, always very good. Um, We're going to do a bit of a quasi-roundtable style episode. Ashea is going to moderate and she'll give her own answers as well. We're not, not everyone's going to answer every question, because frankly, we don't have time for that. Mm. There is a lot to talk about. This episode really spawned a lot of discussion. There's a lot of questions that are posed because of this. And of course, because this is a book-to-show episode, we're really going to hammer away at how these plot developments uh, may imply the future of what's going to happen in the Winds of Winter and all that. And we'll also you know, talk about what we think won't happen in the show that, that did, or that won't happen in the books based on the show, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll try to clear all that up as much as possible. Along the same lines as having so much to talk about in this episode, we've gotten a ton of feedback, comments on YouTube, emails, messages on Patreon, et cetera. Frankly, we're a bit behind on all that. There's so much talk about this episode that we can't get to it all. So I just want to let everyone know, if you've sent us an email, we've absolutely read it. We've absolutely taken into account some of the questions you've all, you've all have asked have made it into this episode But because we can't respond to everything, I just want you all to know that we definitely read every email. We definitely take everything into account. We look at all the comments. We just, if we, if we responded to everything, well, 
we wouldn't have time to make all these episodes. So that's just the way it is. That's just the bottom line. So we try to respond when we can. But right now, this is the high season. This is the busy season. So with that said, what am I wasting time for? Let's get into it. Let's talk about the North. Mm -hmm. So we start off, of course, with this flashback of Winterfell. This is in the late 270s-ish. And I think we all thought it was awesome to see the Stark kids. Um, <laughs> Lyanna was a standout there. And she was played by Cordelia Hill, a Westerman bastard. <laughs> yeah, they're um, really going within the... <laughs> within the schema to get their actresses these days. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, Liana was immediately shown to be very bold, and she really steals the scene there, something we can guess was on purpose from the directors because she might be a memorable character. And straight away we're told never, Ned never talks about her. So there's obviously some secret there. And I think I can speak on behalf of all RLJ fans um, when I say that I love seeing Liana for the first time, and it was very exciting. Yeah, I mean, we don't get to see her, really, in the books at all. We hear about her. Ned's got that little vision of her, you know, the dream of her dying in her bed, but it's you don't really see her. So actually having her on screen, I got to admit, I don't, it was kind of an emotional moment. I mean, as far as Game of Thrones can, can be, it shows how... Deeply, these things are in our subconscious when you can get an emotional reaction to a character appearing on screen. And it's not even like you, she, does, she has like one line, you know, and it's still like, wow, that was just awesome. And it fits, I think, our feelings for kind of matched up with how Bran felt about it, too. You know, it made and he wanted wistful. a little longer. He did. We wanted it a little longer. That's right. Actually, hell, we wanted a lot longer. <laughs> there's some neat parallels in the scene there. Ned, there's a parallel with Ned telling. Benjamin to keep his shield up and the way, even the way he holds his you know grabs his neck and, and tells you know like to be emphatic about yeah, it to word make it for meaningful. word it's word for word the same as what john says to ollie when he's training him so that had to be on purpose pretty sneaky nicely done i think yep uh there's also um echoes of ned and cat watching their kids sparring from season one when you see uh the three-eyed raven and um bran standing on that little balcony same kind of framing yeah we also saw uh, a nice little cameo there from a young sir roderick uh <laughs> some people might have thought that that was brandon um it wasn't you could tell by the mutton chops and he had the exact same belt i mean obviously it's been loosened a bit once <laughs> older, but it's definitely sir roderick uh yeah, that was nice that's a very nice touch i think that scene this scene was just really great um it might have been cool to see Brandon, but he was probably, timeline-wise, he would have been with the Riswells by then, if, assuming book canon there. That's mm -hmm. that's when he would have been fostered over there, so it would make sense for him not to be in Winterfell. Rickard might have been there, but he just wasn't in that scene. Yeah, we did see Mid-Nan. Mid-Nan. Uh, <laughs> she looked real good. She does Same look outfit, good, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, <laughs> this is well done. Really good attention to detail there, I thought, in that scene. The show gets... You know, people criticize it for not paying attention to detail in some places or missing nuances of characters. And since we criticize that sometimes, it's only fair to, to point out when they get it right. I think they nailed it with this one. What about Willis and Hodor? <laughs> Willis slash Hodor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really nice to see Hodor when he was young, wasn't it? And I did notice that Hodor already had that scar on his head. You know, he's got this kind of scar just on the side of his uh, temple. Uh, so that can't correlate to whatever happened to him to make him Hodor. 
I wonder if it's, is there any chance it's related to the actor? Christian Aaron has a, has, actually has a tattoo on his forehead. Yeah, that is why he has the scar, but it would have made, if, they could it, still fit it, into if it was because it was a knock on the head, you would think that they wouldn't have given him the scar right then. Uh, but there is a theory that people have been talking about a bit here, which is that maybe Benjen injures Hodor, or Willis at this point, and that's why Benjen takes the black. Uh, we've seen it commented quite a bit, so we thought we'd throw it out. Yeah, it's certainly a possibility. Um, that might seem like a kind of a mild reason to dedicate your life to the Night's Watch. <laughs> but if he was, you know, he's already a Stark. Starks sometimes take the black. It's kind of their duty. Maybe he's already leaning that direction, and that just kind of was extra motivation for him, extra incentive. Hard to say. There's also this interesting talk about how he has giant's blood. If he learned to fight, he'd be unstoppable. I don't know that he literally has giant's blood, mm -hmm. but the reference is cool, and it makes us think. And there's more giant. There's actually a lot of giant talk this episode in general. You wonder, did he learn to fight? Was he unstoppable? <laughs> did he take a head blow, a blow to the head? That That's what I'm wondering. You know, uh, that you see Bran's face there when, when uh, that line is delivered, and that's something that he knows pretty well, obviously, having taught Hodor to fight. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, I can't shake the feeling that that's going to be important to Hodor's backstory. That, yeah, you wonder if he actually, like, gets into the war or if it's some sort of training accident. I I've heard another theory that maybe Robert Baratheon is responsible, that he <laughs> whacks him over the head. He's trying to impress Lyanna or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw another theory that it was Rhaegar uh, during when... Hodor's around when Lyanna takes off with Rhaegar and Rhaegar hits him for some reason. It's huh. another theory I've been seeing. Yeah, interesting. A lot of Hodor theories. There are a lot of Hodor theories. More, more so than ever now that we've got evidence of what he was like. That was kind of surprising. Uh, so Bran also says that you finally show me a vision I want to see, etc. And then he you know, takes him away. The interesting takeaway there, I think that it shows that he's... Still got a ways to go. Uh, Three-eyed crow, raven, blood raven. Three-eyed blood raven. Wanted <laughs> to... Is still in control. He's the one guiding the visions. Bran is not having the visions on his own. He's not picking... He didn't pick this vision out himself. I think that's an important little uh, detail there. It shows kind of how Bran still has a ways to go in his training. He's kind of like Arya. He's just taking a while to get the training... <laughs> get through <laughs> this training stage. Uh, moving on, though, we have this line from Bloodraven where he references being under the sea. And we've gotten a lot of comments. People seem to be reminded of Patchface. I think it is possible that they were referencing Patchface. I don't really think so. Um, and I think that Yokeboy has a bit to say about this. No, I just... Some people think that this means that Patchface's visions, when he says under the sea, in the books means that he's talking about the past. I can see why people think this, but you've got to remember the books are the books and the show is the show. So I think that, you know, at best, it's just a kind of nod. I, I really don't think in the books when Patchface is talking about Under the Sea that he, he's talking about the past. I think there there is evidence that Patchface does see the future. And, uh, you know, the one clear one is when he sees the Red Wedding, for example. And uh, another point on this scene... Um, Bran being tempted to stay connected to the past really reminded me of the books in his wolf dreams where Jojen several times reminds him not to get too deep in because he's going to lose himself. Um, here's a quote from the books. Remember yourself or the wolf will consume you. When you join, it is not enough to run and hunt and howl in summer's skin. And 
funnily enough, Bran's apprenticeship under his master is in opposition to Arya's with her master. Bran is being taught not to lose himself, to keep himself by the three-eyed blood raven. Um, whereas Arya, on the other hand, is being taught to completely lose herself and her identity. So I think it's a really nice contrast between those two. And, and to add to that contrast, this, that's a really great point, by the way, Arya is resisting that, whereas Bran is the one who's giving in. It's kind of like they're being told to do the opposite of what their natural inclination is to do. Arya is trying to stay herself, you know, even though she's slowly relenting and realizing that she's going to have to do that. But, you know, we all know she's kind of hanging on to her past a bit with the with Needle and all that. Whereas Bran, <laughs> his past is part of this. He's, it's contained in this but environment I, that he's supposed to not get too lost in. I would say he is still in. resisting Bloodraven there. Uh, oh, I'm, he, oh, he's he, resisting Bloodraven. He's Blood Raven, but, into it, but uh, they're both resisting what they're being advised to do. That's true. And it's, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Uh, so moving on, um, another very exciting thing that happened mm-hmm. in this episode. It was very exciting for me, at least. I figure it's exciting for most people, is that Leaf was recast. Uh, the new actress is Kay Alexander. What? And I just want to say that Relief, <laughs> I just want to say it's been so, such a relief that she turned over a new Leaf. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was a lot of puns yeah. all together. Thanks to Aziz and I. We wrote that together. Uh, but she did look really awesome. Yeah, that was cool. With that, those eyes and the hair, it's just really cool. Uh, I had one question, though. Relief. Uh, <laughs> so that is Leaf. She confirmed that it's Leaf. Um, in pr- the previous season, in season four, the Child of the Forest was also confirmed to be Leaf. Uh, so I guess they learned that we didn't like that Leaf, and they fixed it. Apparently, there's some budgeting issue. Yes. They ran out of budget in that that episode that season and so they had to do this other version but if we want to try to explain it in canon to make it make sense i guess we can say that she was younger then and she went through a growth spurt she was a child Somehow of the child all children of the years forest. she's been alive this year <laughs> yeah that was yeah, out of the hundreds of years of life that was the important year yeah uh, but well, I, oh, we can definitely agree that we're grateful that they fixed this it was way more creepy yeah she's an adult of the forest now, <laughs> or at least a teenager of the forest uh-huh. A tween of the forest. Hmm. But um, in that Leaf scene, it wasn't just all being, wow, look, Leaf looks cool. Uh, Leaf had a pretty interesting conversation with Mira there. Mm. Very telling. She points out that he's going to need you when he leaves. He's not going to stay here forever, which to a lot of book readers was a big surprise. Not that we necessarily have to assume this is what's going to happen in the books, but a lot of people thought that Bran was going to stay there in the cave forever, that he was going to become part of the trees. I admit, I consider myself in that group. I thought there was a very strong possibility. I wasn't married to the idea, just like Bran isn't necessarily (laughs) going to be married to a tree. But quite blatantly, it's pointed out that he will be leaving. Of course, the book, maybe not, but I think there's a strong chance. It's a pretty big plot point to change. So I think we might expect that he's going to leave in the show or in the books as well. And I think that's a good thing as far as Mira and and Hodor. Because if Bran's going to stay in the cave, Mira and Hodor are kind of pointless. And you know what happens to pointless characters? A lot of times they die. So if he's got to go back out in the wilderness, go back into the world, they're going to be with him, which means they're going to be around with him. Uh, So that bodes well for their at least immediate future. So I wanted to bring up a question that was on my mind at least, uh, was how long has Bran been in the cave? Uh, we had that whole season where he was off, but he wasn't in the show at all in season five. And so the biggest thing I could think of to date things was Walda's pregnancy. 
And she announces her pregnancy in season five, episode five. So, assuming Bran went in the cave before she announced her pregnancy then in season four, uh, it's been as much as a year. Maybe at least seven to eight months minimum, basically, which is a really long time, and I can see why Mira's so depressed and bored and despondent. <laughs> uh, She's really got nothing to do. Uh, Food probably stinks there, too. <laughs> yeah. So, do we have any other thoughts on Bran, Bloodraven, Mira? I think we're just getting started with all that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose you're there's right. There's probably a lot we could say, but we should probably move on, unless anyone has anything crucial there. I think we're good, then. Yeah, we'll just, just right, wait so. and see what happens next. It's going to be great. Can't wait. So we're going to move on to the wall. First, we're going to focus on the Wildling arrival. Yeah, 1-1 one, one and Tormund showing up wasn't as bloody as a lot of people maybe expected it would <laughs> be. Could be very different in the books. That's something that could be different. I think there's room for, for a difference there. Uh, I like the nod to Sir Patrick there, even though there was only two or three people that were killed. I think it was just two people killed in that scene. One of them was splattered against the wall. In fact, I think there's a lot of nods to the books in this episode. A lot of very, like, slender, sneaky, slender? Yeah. Sneaky references to the books in, in here in this episode. And that's one that's a little more obvious, I think. But I, I, I like that they did that. There's a couple of interest, nice little zingers, some decent dialogue there. Alistair Thorne saying, you traitor, you know, mm -hmm. the, we've, we've held the wall this long, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the only traitor is those who stabbed the Lord Commander. And Tormund says, yeah, you're the one who lost the wall. You were in charge. The second you took over, you lost the wall, buddy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, one thing that was really, uh, I, I thought was cool about this scene. The episode description says, uh, the Night's Watch stands behind Thorne. And before we watched it, I said to Oak Boy, what do you want to bet that refers to the Night's Watch just kind of standing there when the wildlings show up? Which is exactly what they did. I behind it was pretty him. funny. <laughs> <laughs> Literally they just stood behind they it. They stood behind um, Thorne. That, that, uh, that, that comment funny. by Thorne that you brought up, <laughs> held the wall, holding the wall against the wildlings for thousands of years, really highlights how out of touch the Night's Watch has become, doesn't it? Because we know, we think the true purpose of the wall is not to hold the wall against the wildlings, but to keep the others out. So he's just proved that he's got it all wrong when he says that. And so Thorn and Ollie and others are locked up. Big question, what's going to happen? What is going to happen with those guys? Are they... Uh, I kind of don't think they're just going to be executed. That seems extreme for John. Especially because there's so many of them. The Night's Watch is just, their strength is dwindling. There are so few of them. Can he really afford to kill these guys, even though they did the most, one of the most treasonous things you can imagine? I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Or is that just a wait and see kind of situation? I agree that I think there's just too many of them. I don't think there's going to be a mass execution. Yeah, I don't see John doing that. Um, it seemed... Maybe trying to find, you know, some way, some way around it, some poetic justice or something there. But yeah, I'm really interested to see what happens with Ollie. That's 
Yeah, with all these. It's kind of rough, it would be. I mean, you have Othel, Yarwick, Bowen, Martin, like the three, all of the, the second in command, third in command, fourth command, whatever order you want to put them. All of them were on the <laughs> side of the traitors. Yeah, he needs some, some creative some creative punishment, like, you guys have to hang out with a wildling. We're, we're going to assign each of you to a buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it'll be like what happens in the book, where John sends Thorne out as a ranger, just puts him in danger, yeah. and says, all right, well, you're, you know, you got to, in this, it'll be maybe explained a little different. It's like, well, you got to, prove that you are still loyal. You know, this is your punishment. We're going to let you continue to be a brother, but you're going to be in the forefront of the danger. Yeah, maybe that, that might be a little compromise. All right, should we move on? Let's stay, so. at, let's stay at the north. Let's talk about the resurrection a bit. What did you guys think of Mel's despair? I thought it was uh, different for her. Oh, it was so different. And I mean, we... I, kind of thought it was amusing it's <laughs> she had a couple of good lines there she was really snarky to, to davos when he came in and said i assume you know why i'm here <laughs> i will after you tell me <laughs> like you've never seen her be sarcastic or anything like that so uh it was both amusing and you know moving for the actress as well one thing one thought i had is that her despair is based on her vision's failing to come true, but Davos is standing there kind of offering her the solution. He's telling her, you, you know, if you, we should resurrect Jon Snow. And she's just like, nah, I can't do anything now. My visions didn't come true. But he's giving her the answer right there. So not sure if that had anything to do with why she ended up doing it, if she made the connection. But So let's move on to the ritual itself. And now... I'm sure you've seen that there that um, David Peterson released the translation of the prayer that Melisandre uh, recites. But if you haven't, I think Yoke Boy had an interest in reading it for everyone. Yeah, I got it from that was it. It was David Peterson's blog. He's the one who actually made the Valyrian language, and it's in High Valyrian. It says, "We ask the Lord to shine His light and lead a soul out of darkness." We beg the Lord to share his fire and light a candle that has gone out. From darkness, light. From ashes, fire. From death, life. And I went back and checked. And it's, it's kind of similar to what Thoros said uh, when he brought back Beric. Uh, when was that? That must have been season three or four. I can't remember now. But um, it's not exactly the same wording, but it's a kind of similar sentiment. And speaking of Thoros, he did seemed to have a similar experience of not really fully knowing what he was doing when he brought back Beric is very clear about that. It, it was almost down to luck kind of thing. And you have to wonder why resurrections are becoming easier at this point in time and at this moment in history. Has magic not only been affected by the rebirth of the dragons, but could the others, you know, the reemergence of the others be something to do with it as well, who are obviously the chief resurrectors in the story? Yeah, and I, it's, it's important to point out where else there's walking bodies going around. I mean, Robert Strong, the mountain, that's another resurrection that maybe wouldn't have worked five years ago, for example. Maybe that's what, maybe Kyburn had tried before and it just didn't work and now it works, you know. <laughs> Uh, because it's it is interesting. They're, Thoros and and Mel they had no idea what they they just tried it. And it. Thoros wasn't even trying. He was just doing the same thing he always does. And they're like, lo and behold, this person woke up after I 
did the same prayer uh, he's done a lot of times. So I like that. I really like that the show is keeping the instability, the un, the mystery of magic. That that same concept is applied here. I like that a lot. It's just you just don't know. We don't know how it works, and it just it, there's no manual. There's no there's no guide to it. It just sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But it seems to be working big time right now. What about some of the differences do we expect in the books here? What about Ghost? Do we think that Ghost is going to be maybe a part of that in the books? Or what about Resurrections in general? Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you. (laughs) You're asking me. Well, I was a fan of John Morgan Ghost. I still think I am a fan of it. I'm slightly less a fan of it after this. As much as I can't help it, it affected me a little bit. Hmm. I still lean towards him morguing into ghosts, though. For me. Okay. I am not sure. I do think yeah. Ghost will be involved in the process. I think that's the whole point of Vermeer and all that was in the books. And it's the stuff you can't do on the show because it's all very internal. It's all in his head. It's these, these, these strange things that are kind of hard to bring onto the screen. Uh, That's a good point. It would be harder to show on the screen, although they have done seeing it from the wolf's eyes before when we saw Bran looking through Summer. That's true. We kind of thought maybe that would happen with Ghost, but it didn't, so that's that. (laughs) (laughs) We said last week, you know, Jon hasn't even been established as a warg of any kind, so it would have been a, a deus ex machina for sure without any you know without any groundwork it becomes a deus ex machina because it's from nowhere i agree so. yeah that's a good point what about uh, the resurrection yourself what about it are you asking uh, if i should ask the question we have yes this is a question <laughs> that uh, we've seen a lot of articles about we've seen it asked a lot is john's resurrection a cheap device uh lady gwen why don't you start us off well I don't know. I I feel like as happy as I was to see it, kind of, um, that it felt a bit rushed. I'm not sure it was entirely convincing storytelling. Uh, we're pretty sure we know what Davos's motivation was, but I don't think it was that well communicated. I mean, so you know, we're kind of left to assume that why Davos would want him resurrected, and Mel might have been motivated to try and revive her visions and that like the thing I said earlier, like maybe she realized that if she brought him back to life, her visions might come true, or maybe she was just trying to help out Davos. Um, so it was, it just wasn't very explicit. So I think they had, a, could have done a little more work with that. I can see why show only watchers might be thinking that this is a cheap device, bringing back people from the dead on TV really runs that risk for sure. And you can't, you know, give Game of Thrones a past for that because it's a show we love. However, this isn't your usual soap opera. We did see whites in the very first scene. So resurrection and that kind of magic was established really early on. We had Thoros, uh, Beric, sorry, and also the mountain being brought back from the dead too. However, in all cases of resurrection so far, there's been a cost to the resurrected. And George has actually said that this is how his resurrections function. He likes this device, you know, where they come back and they lose something. And I think if they want to avoid John's resurrection coming off like a cheap plot device, they really need to exhibit some kind of change or cost for John. In the books, I'm really sure George will show this somehow, but we'll have to wait and see how the TV show handle this. 
But I think overall it's a reasonable enough concern from critics and we can just hope that in the upcoming episodes that it's handled accordingly by the directors. Yes, I hope so as well. So on that subject, how will John be changed? Mm. Aziz, what do you think? I think that I like the idea that he's going to be a little more, maybe a little wilder, maybe a little less forgiving, but that doesn't work with the idea of him forgiving Alistair (laughs) and Ollie, for example. So in order to do, this is kind of an opportunity for him. He's back from the dead and he's his agenda that he's trying to push, which we, I think most of us agree is the right agenda to push as far as because we are a bit more omniscient than the characters in this story. We have more information than they do, so we understand the threats like sort of like John does. And so I think that he might be even more determined. He might be willing to learn from his mistakes. I think he may understand that he didn't lead the Night's Watch properly. He didn't explain why these things are important. He didn't understand how biased they are against the wildlings and how that had to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And so maybe he'll just be smarter. If it's that simple, it could, <laughs> but, it, but it could be it could be darker. It could be Knights King-ish. Mm-hmm. Mm, I don't know. I think Personally, it'll be different in the books, though. I think it's pretty obvious how he's changed. He's going to have a, a little bit shorter left side of his beard <laughs> and a little bit shorter hair. <laughs> uh, and some scars. Pretty he'll, big change. He'll have holes in him, yeah. <laughs> he'll need a new shirt. <laughs> uh, so another question people might be wondering about is what the reaction of the wildlings is going to be. Uh, well, there's a little bit of a something that gives us a clue as to how they'll react in the preview for next week's episode, so stay tuned for that post-credits. Yeah, as usual, we'll be talking about things that are in the next on Game of Thrones, episode three, anything we learned. description. All that stuff is after the credits. You can avoid that if you want to, but if you want to dive into the spoiler talk, we got you covered after the credits, so end of the episode. Stay tuned Mm -hmm. for that. But yeah, how will the Wildlings react (sighs) to this? Yeah, it is a big question. Uh, and another big question is, how will Ollie and Alistair react? They'll be like, what? We killed you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Nothing uh, works. What do, you, <laughs> what do you think, Yuck Boy? Well, John might come back, re- you know, after experiences at Hard Home, thinking, you know, I've got to act for the greater good. I can't be getting tied up in kind of personal quarrels. I think that's, you know, a, a decent enough angle. And so he, he might try and kind of forgive Alistair, Ollie, and all the others who were, you know, implemented to be part of his stabbing. He might be bigger than that now. He, he might be thinking, right, my, my mission is to, you, you know, unite people now. I can't be squabbling. And it crossed my mind that it could parallel... Danny potentially forgiving the Dothraki who took her captive. There might be an emerging theme of finding common common cause with old enemies and focusing on the greater tasks and battles ahead. I like that thought a lot, especially because if that's happening, well, we're well on our way to that because as we've talked about at length in these first two episodes, there's a lot of infighting within each kingdom. There's just rulers getting stabbed by their families left and right or thrown off of bridges, etc. It's it's happening everywhere. So with all this infighting, yeah, if it starts to coalesce into people reeling that they need to work together, that would fit. And it's certainly needed because, yeah, I don't think Westeros can beat the, the, the others if they're all just fighting themselves. Uh, the North, in general, not just... 
Alistair and Ollie's reaction to John's raising, I think, is interesting how everyone else will react. Because most people don't even know he was stabbed. This whole saga of his death and rebirth was pretty quick. Not exactly time for word to spread. Maybe some of the wildlings spread the word when Ed came to them, but other than that, it's not like Alistair was going to go tell the world that they killed their own Lord Commander. Bruce Bolton told us why you don't go around doing that. So... It's interesting for me to think what happens if this is the rumor that spreads is that Jon Snow was killed and brought back from the dead. And I think that the way gossip works in Westeros, that's the kind of thing that would people would talk about regardless. But the fact that it's a Stark, a son of a major house, I think that actually makes the rumor juicier, which means it'll spread more. Just hearing that... Oh, the dead are walking again. That's just going to sound like fancy to people, but when you have a specific name attached to it and it's a somewhat famous name from a, from a famous family, I think that makes the, gives the rumor more legs. And that would be ironic to me if the thing that gets people to pay attention to the threat in the North isn't the actual threat, but the bringing back of the man who's most you know, in the vanguard of facing that threat. <laughs> so that would be kind of a backwards way of getting things aligned, but I, I could see it happening. Uh, so another question that we all have on our mind is, will John be escaping his vows? Real quick, if he does, if he's not the Lord Commander, does that mean Ed will be the Lord Commander? He's kind of taken the lead back <laughs> there. He's, you know, led the wildlings over there. <laughs> He'd have to be a top pick, I think. None of the traitorous guys that stabbed John would, would even be considered, I would think. So, uh, I, I don't <laughs> think we know anyone else's name. So. <laughs> Here's that cook, that badass cook that <laughs> fought. <in> the... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Three Finger Hob. I don't know if he's named in the show. But... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I definitely think that John is going to, you know, get out of his vows. Um, his focus is obviously going to be elsewhere now. Family in the short term, but I have my guess, but uh, obviously the big picture, the others. Yes. All right. Um, also tied to this. Uh, so do we think that John is going to be a follower of the Lord of Light now? Uh, whether you think it'll mean he forsakes the old gods, whether he worships them both, or what? What do you think, Yokoi? Well, it's a really interesting question, and I personally don't think that John would forsake his old gods. I think they're a big part of um, who he is. But he might feel somewhere that he does owe a certain debt to a law, and this could manifest perhaps in the way that he now treats Mel. Rather than a religious conversion, he might be more interested in the powers Mel possesses via her god, which... Like I said, he, he might be very grateful for. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that he, we, what we saw from the books is when John, when Stannis presented him with that choice of, you know, he to take Winterfell. It's like, I'll name you Lord Stark. But the price was, you know, burning the heart tree <laughs> and all that, which was, and when then he sees Ghost and realizes, no, I'm, you know, I'm part of the old gods. So that, I do think that will make him consider that. But I agree with you. I don't think he can give up the old gods, but maybe, yeah, maybe he becomes kind of like Victorian where he just honors all the gods. And it's like, well, now I have seen that they're legit. I can't just continue to be, I mean, it's not monotheistic, but you know what I mean. So we'll find out pretty soon uh, how John's going to react to all this, but let's think a little bit about how Melisandre is going to react to this. Do we think her faith is going to be restored? Lady Gwyn. Well, I'm really interested to see what she thinks of this thing coming from herself, because remember, 
with Thoros, that she was impressed by the power, um, but she was more puzzled. I mean, it didn't seem to affect her conviction at all. She she was equally as sure of herself before as after when she saw what was happening with Thoros. So now that she's managed to do, pull this off as well, I just wonder, I'm, I'm interested to see how that'll affect <laughs> Yeah, maybe she'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I never should have doubted you, Relore. You know, all along you've been with me. Or maybe you'll feel like, yeah, it was within me. Maybe this is not some other power. I kind of think I'm the former is more the likely than the latter. <laughs> yeah, it's just to hear that that was right, too. Oh, she's yeah. going to be insufferable. <laughs> yeah, so I guess there's at least one other big question that comes out of this. Yeah, is Melisandre going to try to resurrect anyone else in the future? <laughs> Those implications are massive, right? Like, there's just so many possibilities. You'd be like, hey, wait. Uh, let's find Stannis' body or <laughs> Shireen's oh. devils will be like Shireen get... Mel's like actually about that uh, <laughs> so much. in order to resurrect a body you gotta have to have a body <laughs> and yeah uh. he was perhaps a little too zealous there so lots of possibilities I don't know that. And then immediately I can't think of anyone who would just immediately well we gotta resurrect that what guy. if someone dies in the future she, if Anne Melisandre's around, she might just resurrect them. Dolores Ed, for example. <laughs> we got to keep him around. You know, that's, now I'm really, he's feeling safer than ever. <laughs> Indestructible Lord Commander Dolores Ed. <laughs> with the backing like to, of the Red Woman. Like, I'd like to imagine a one-one dying and bringing him back. Oh, dead, another undead giant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a giant uh, in the service of R'hllor. That sounds uh, scary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think that's enough on the resurrection, at least until we move on to our post-credits dis uh, discussion. So let's move on to uh, the scene with Sansa, Theon, Podrick, and Brienne. And I think the biggest question on all of our minds here is why didn't Brienne say who Arya was with? Because Podrick says that it's the Hound when Brienne runs into them, so Brienne definitely knows. Yeah, she didn't know at first. She was like, oh, hey, fellow traveler with Arya, <laughs> and then Podrick is like... That's Sandor Clegane. <laughs> and she's like, oh. So, yeah. So we know that for sure that she knows who that was. Yeah. Well, it was, you know, obviously it was dramatic tension. I, I felt it when Sansa got up to leave to walk over to Theon. I was like, no, 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 don't go. Don't go. Stay there. And just keep, keep talking about that guy because <laughs> you forgot to ask. Um, but, yeah, it was very frustrating. Um, just hope it'll come up again. I think maybe it's just she didn't want to scare Sansa. She's like, well, what's the... Is, doesn't that just make your her Yeah, she doesn't fear? know about Sansa's relationship with Sandor. That she, she right. doesn't know that Sansa spent any time with him, really. Exactly. So it's just like, oh, by the way, she was with this murderous, you know, <laughs> guy. <laughs> murderous, dangerous guy that ever, you know, has this reputation. <laughs> it's like, that's not going to... You know, that's not going to give Sansa confidence. That's just going to make her worry more. So I kind of see that might be it. But again, kind of like Davos's motivation for bringing back Jon, which is that he recognizes that only Jon can unite the Wildlings and, and the Watch. So that's really important, but that's not spelled out. So I think that's what you were saying earlier, Lady Gwen, about it maybe being a little bit bad storytelling because they didn't make that clear. It wasn't clear to us until we all sat together here and made our, did our, you know, worked on this episode and talked it through. We we're like, oh yeah, and, you and know. And it's another one of those where just a line would have really fixed it. If when Sansa goes over to Theon, Podrick and Brienne are standing there and Podrick says, why didn't you tell her? Yeah. And Brienne says that. I, you know, better not to frighten her or make her lose hope or any number. Two, literally two lines. Two lines. You're right. And 
And there's so many, and it's so important because book readers, we all, us book readers, we get kind of wrapped up in what we expect. It happens mm -hmm. a lot that people just default back to, why didn't they do this the way it happened mm -hmm. in the books? And sometimes that's a good complaint, but sometimes they have a compelling reason for doing it the way they did in the show that makes a lot of sense from a show produ uh, pr production standpoint. But this, to me, this is a, a, a small failing on their part, is they need to clarify these things, partly because of the, to, to work with the expectations that other people have already. And yeah, as Lady Gwyn mentioned, I think there were multiple moments throughout this episode where just the tiniest line would have clarified it to my satisfaction. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, so yeah. maybe yeah. just a, yeah, a line here or there would fix a lot of things, but... That's... In this case, they could have set up, you know, what's coming very easily, reminded people, there are going to be show watchers that... Maybe you've forgotten about the hound, or, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe not forgotten about him, but you know, might need to be reminded that'll about be, him. Because, that'll be fun. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm very excited to see people's reaction to his appearance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so also in this, uh, Sansa does confirm that the wall is their destination. Mm -hmm. Just a tiny note. Yeah, if, whether that changes en route or something, I don't know. I'm guessing it'll be what happens. I'm guessing they go there, and then from there, I don't who knows? Know. I think maybe she might make it there. Oh, I, I do think got... she'll make it there. Oh, I just okay. think that after, after that, I'm saying, I don't know oh, what happens yeah, after yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was this, you know, another really touching moment between Sans and Theon, which, you know, I love these, these little moments. Um, she suggested Theon that he should join the Night's Watch, and he's, you know, for to get his sins forgiven. He just doesn't think he deserves to be forgiven. He doesn't want to be forgiven, which I thought was really interesting. He just says, there's, there's no way. There can be no redemption. So I thought that was an interesting moment. Um, and then, of course, he, you know, he's, he's gone home, so gets back to the theme of the episode. By the way, there's a lot of people that think that there might be an alternate explanation to mm -hmm. what home means here. I honestly, I don't, I don't get that. I don't know where else he could be going. People think that Winterfell is his home. Right, and I don't understand how that could be the case because yeah. he certainly by himself isn't going to be able to take on Ramsay Bolton. I think they're thinking that he's suicidal. Oh. I think that he does. They're thinking that he doesn't want forgiveness, and he just wants to go to his home, and he realizes that his home is Winterfell. Okay. I can buy that. Theory. Um, I, I think he's headed towards the Iron Islands. I do uh, too, yeah. But I think I, if he was suicidal, he wouldn't throw himself into Ramsey's hands. That would be death <laughs> that by would, torture. That wouldn't that just would, be yeah. death. That would be, that would be not death. He yeah. would just keep him alive. I don't think he hates himself that much. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, probably not. I did have a thought. I wondered if he would go, if he would catch wind. It, something that we're going to talk about in the, after, in the... Ah, uh, okay. After the credits. So if he catches wind of things happening at Winterfell and he feels like he can he maybe redeem himself by going back there to do something. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. Okay, well, we'll discuss that more mm -hmm. at the uh, post-credits. That's a good yeah. idea. So let's but move on to the Boltons. Perfect timing for that. Uh, but now there were some major northern houses mentioned here. Uh, Karstark, Manderley, and Umber, and yeah. of course we were all cheering for the Manderley inclusion. Yes, very good to hear very the exciting. Manderley inclusion. We were all a little sweating that a little bit. <laughs> they were at the Red Wedding, but all you got was a large man with a mermaid pin. <laughs> That's not exactly a lot of Manderley action, so we hopefully <laughs> there's more to come there. Um, we guessed last episode that Roos and Ramsay would come into conflict, and we certainly lean towards Ramsay being the victor in that because of his appearance in the trailers later in the season, that whole big battle at the end of the season. That certainly 
appears to involve him. Uh, so it didn't seem, and of course, with the pattern elsewhere, every house was fighting amongst itself, and this just seemed likely. I think the surprise was that it happened so soon. Mm-hmm. Maybe we shouldn't have been surprised that it happened so soon because this plot line, things, a lot of things are moving quick, quickly. Certainly, <laughs> Walda's pregnancy moved quickly. <laughs> I think the bigger surprise to me was just that Karstark was in on it. He was definitely in on it. If it wasn't clear enough by the fact that he had stone face, no reaction, uh, just like the Martell guards made that clear to us by the reaction, uh, it was made definitely clear because Ewan Rian confirmed that Harold Karstark was in on it, and Rams has been planning this. Uh, you wonder if he would have done it even if the child was a girl. Mm. Right, just a, just made his move. Yeah. Maybe that's what he was waiting. He was like, "Well, I'm not going to do this if it's a girl, but if it's, but maybe right. he's just like, look, she's going to have a girl, a boy. Eventually, they're going to keep having. It's a, she's yeah. afraid, yeah. you know, that kind of bias and superstition they have, and it's like she's going to just keep popping out kids. <laughs> she's afraid after all, so he's going to be. Maybe he's thinking that. So I'm going to better just take care of this now. <laughs> uh, Ruth has one of the best lines in the books about Lady Walda. If 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 my if Lady Walda pops out sons the way she. She pops in tarts. <laughs> the tread for it will soon be overrun yeah. with bolts. That's so funny that you quoted that. I was just about to quote it too. That made me think of my favorite lines. So. And then he says, "But Ramsey will kill them all, of course. Right. But that's for the better." Like what? Oh. Of course, he's just like nonchalant. He's like, yeah. "I won't care. I'll be dead. Like, what difference does it make to me?" Like, man, that is a cold man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he is. Um, uh, did you guys notice the irony of the the Karstarks talking about how they abandoned? You know, they abandoned King Rob because he killed the, he killed his father, but he stood there stone faced watching Ramsey kill his own father. <laughs> yeah, like like, a little, it wasn't he didn't slay my kid. Not my, kin name. slaying is cool as long as it's not my kid. <laughs> and that's of course they did sort of address the the need for Ramsey to not admit to it to the realm. He points out that you know, he makes the Maester lie and says it was poison. Which <laughs> I guess people will believe that. No, and then Lady don't. Walda and Yeah, the what baby. happened to her? Yeah. Well, they don't necessarily know about the baby. <laughs> they don't know about the baby, but Lady Walda disappeared. But Lady Walda disappeared. Lord yeah. Walder can't be happy when he learns this. Yeah, I got to I got to agree with that. I think that might be one of the first things that comes up when we Lord Walder gets reintroduced this season. He's like got to throw away and like my daughter is dead up there or Good something. Thing I have. Or, I haven't heard from her. Funny others. <laughs> So, Lady Gwen, you notice something else about the a parallel with uh, Roos and oh, uh, yeah. karma. Speaking of the car so starts for, and Rob's yeah, kinslaying. So we go from irony to karma. The uh, <laughs> Roos is stabbed in the you know in the heart, and it's it's set up very much like the the Roos stabbing Rob. I mean the the framing of the scene and everything. It's a little different placement of the of, but. Uh, no one was sending their regards. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. He kind of st- he stabs him in the in the in the belly in this, but he does point the knife up, doesn't he? Yeah, so I think yeah, he's definitely a stab through the, the heart, heart. And, yeah. and you know, a hug and some kind words and I thought there was another sneaky thing in this scene just before Ramsey gets the news or everyone gets the news about the the child. Ra- uh, Roos is complaining to Ramsey about his plan. He's like, "Look, if you behave like a mad dog, you'll be taken out back and slaughtered like a pig or something to that effect. And then that's, and then immediately Roos is stabbed about two minutes later. I wonder if that's foreshadowing. I think in the books we kind of expect the karma, the karmic way for Ramsey to go down would be his own dogs turning on him, which is certainly possible. There's a lot of ways he could go down. But 
I think that's interesting. I wonder if he's just going to be killed ignominiously after failing, after everyone, mm-hmm. after he loses his power, he falls from, he loses his authority, and he's just put down like an animal mm-hmm. uh, without any fanfare or any la- great last stand or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I picture John taking him out and beheading him like Ned did. Poor lady. <laughs> yeah, that'd but, be cool. So, but it could go the same way. Maybe his hounds will get him in the show, too. Um that could happen still, kind of the way like he, what he did to Lady Walda and her child could still happen in uh, hmm. to him. My tinfoil theory is that the Hound himself kills Ramsay because that he's a dog, you know, and maybe doing it, doing hmm. it for Sansa or Arya, something like that. I don't know. It's, it's a stretch, but hey, it's worth throwing out there. What about Roose's death in the books? I think that's a huge question we have. Is that gonna is is it gonna be similar or? Not. For all we know, he's already dead in the books. Like, the pink letter, you know, some people thought, well, maybe this is an indication that Ramsey's already done away with his father. And we just haven't, the North hasn't gotten wind of it yet. For all we know, that's already happened. But Ramsey isn't nearly as, as a central character in, in the books as he is in the show. He's like the replacement mm-hmm. for Joffrey. He's like the new... Yeah. When Joffrey was gone, immediately Ramsey stepped forward as the psychopath guy. I've, I've read multiple interviews all about how he's the replacement for Joffrey. <laughs> um, interviews with you and Rian. <laughs> so I think he actually got voted uh, above Joffrey on like most hated villains recently. Nice. Well done. <laughs> well done for him. So to me, it says that that alone, just the difference in their, how central Ramsey is as a character in the show versus the books, that says that this will go very differently in the books to me. It doesn't have to go very differently. I just think that's a strong indication that it will because of how they've made him such a central character. And he's, he's an important character in the books, for sure. But he's not, you know, like <laughs> Stannis or Rob or somebody big. All of, you know, yeah, all of whom can die and probably will them, die. Yeah. I think, uh, in the show, for sure. We see him mourning and lots of scenes with him alone, and yeah. Yeah, it's true. They they give him more of a rounded character too. He has no tender moments in the book. There's no like Ramsey feeling, you know, grieving over his dead. Lo- he doesn't have a, a lover <laughs> in the book. He's far more. He's far. It's, it's funny how he's a bigger character in the show, but he's actually probably worse, a worse person in the books. <laughs> And he's just also, he's ugly <laughs> in the books. It just yeah. adds to his whole, like... Misshapen yeah, and fleshy yeah. and... Ugh. The wor- lips like worms <laughs> and all that. And George really just really. describes him in a way yeah, that very, you just... You just want to hate him. Yeah, very, very vividly wrong. <laughs> well, if you have wormy lips in A Song of Ice and Fire, you know you're a pretty horrible character. <laughs> <laughs> jo- Joffrey gets the same description. So. Yeah, I think so as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so now, the question is, uh, what's next for Ramsay in general? Is he going to be bringing the rest of the North to heal? Preparing for the Southern reaction? Finding the rest of the Starks? Well, it's pretty clear. He First off, he wants to kill John. That's still likely, I think, yeah. Yeah, he spells it out in this episode, doesn't he? He sees the death of John as the key to retaining the North. So that will be number one on his agenda. But he'll also want to be keeping his allies, named as the Umbers, Mandalays and Karstarks, very close, making sure that they're under his thumb when he brings war, re- remembering his little speech about how important they were for returning the, retaining the North. Yeah. Yes. I think that, that I agree with that, and I think that whatever he does, he's going to do it 
this the same way he's done everything. He's going to treat the North like he treated the Kerwins. I think that was our mm -hmm. sort of hint as to how he's going to bring people in line. He's going to be... He's not going to take lessons from his father. <laughs> he's going to do things his way. I think that's it. And, and uh, yeah, I don't think see that ending well for him. I wonder if he'll last the season. It'll be close, yeah. I think. It might, he might... Right, just barely last the season. I think he'll die at the end of the season. I kind of yeah. do. I think that big battle that's going to happen, I think it'll end with his death. Yeah, I don't I see him winning that battle. Yeah, know? I don't see him winning the battle, and I guess it's possible for him to escape or for the death sentence to not be carried out, but I think he will. Cool. Uh, so let's move on to King's Landing. Yeah. Uh, we got cool. a few different scenes here. First, we're going to cover Jamie and Tommen and the High Sparrow. And one of the first notable things is that Tommen uh, indicates that no one knows who killed Prince Tristane, so it's still not known that it was the Sand Snakes. Wait, Arya knows who killed Tristane? No one knows who oh. killed Tristane? Ha <laughs> 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 ha! Sorry, folks. Couldn't resist. You really did. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of neat there. It's, it's up in the air. It makes you think that they're not entirely done with Dorne yet. That's still going to come up at I, some point. My big question is, are Nymeria... And Obara still in King's Landing. I, I hope so, personally. I want to see them mess some stuff up. Yeah, and there's plenty <laughs> of stuff to mess up. Yeah. wouldn't be hard to topple this uh, house of cards that Cersei's trying to rebuild, <laughs> whatever she's doing. <laughs> and Tommen talks about how he needs to be stronger, how he needs to kind of be more like his mother, I guess, mm -hmm. which is scary. <laughs> um, but then he immediately just leaves when, you know, the Harris Bear comes in and that's the man he wants to confront. But Jamie's like, go see your mother. And he just leaves. It's like, mm -hmm. did you not hear what you just told yourself to do, Tommen, be stronger? And you just, mm -hmm. he, yeah. <laughs> I don't think Tommen has it in him to be <laughs> this kind of character that he yeah, thinks he too, needs to be. tractable. Yeah. <laughs> But I like this. I like this Jamie versus High Sparrow thing. It's it's pretty neat how Jamie tries to intimidate him, and he shows that he's intimidated, but not by Jamie. He's like, yeah, I fear death. I fear the gods, and he names three gods that he fears specifically. Now I'm gonna admit that I was probably wrong about something. In the show only review, I had told Sean I didn't think there were, it meant much that he just named those three specific gods, the mother, the warrior, and the father, and left out the others. But several people have written in, including our own Lord Gregor of the Breadfort, Gregor the Toasty, who pointed out that a, a good alternate explanation that saw the other, other people wrote us with a similar explanation. So here it is. He fears the mother because it's her mercy that all men have to have. It's either fearing her loss of her mercy or just fearing her mercy in general. The, the judgment of the father, which is the judgment of the gods, of course all men should fear that. And the warrior is the, the dangerous one, especially from his point of view as a champion of the small folk. Because when the realm is at war, it's the small folk who suffer. Meanwhile, the other gods, the crone, the crone is wisdom. You don't fear wisdom. The maiden is innocence and purity. You certainly don't fear that. Uh, the the stranger is death. Well, he doesn't. He fears death, but he doesn't fear being dead. So you can kind of see. Yeah, he's not afraid of. He's afraid of dying, perhaps without pleasing the gods. Something like something along those lines. And who did I forget? The smith. The smith is work. Work is not something to fear. Uh, certainly, I think this it is. this <laughs> this septon does not fear work. Walking around in his bare feet, serving. <sighs> you know, bowls of brown to the small folk. So he's not averse to, to working. So I like that interpretation. I think that was pretty cool. And then, so it's basically a, a scene of intimidation, Jamie trying to intimidate 
versus better intimidation. The High Sparrow shows that he's intimidated, but not by Jamie. And then the, uh, all these other uh, sparrows show up, and Jamie's looking around like, all right, well, and then his line about, we are, you know, who are we? But, you know, together we can bring down an empire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's an interesting thing. I had this thought when he said that line, we have no names, we have no families. And, you know, I couldn't tell if Lancel was one of them. But all, all I could think <laughs> yeah. of was, we have no families except Jamie's cousin who's standing, you know. <laughs> That's a great um, but it was a good point. It was a good. I liked the scene a lot. I, I liked Jamie's challenge about the punishment. This, you know, his kind of comment, both in the story, the comment to the high sparrow, but also a kind of a metatextual comment on the inequity of Cersei's punishment versus all the things he's done. And what are you yeah. going to do to me? You know. So to me, that shows that he's. It shows that he's actually fairly ambitious. That he's these the, the charges he's leveling against these people have more to do with trying to get control over them, or in general, just control by by knocking the rulers of the realm back a step or two. And so I think it's yeah, it's it's about power. Yeah, and it shows that Jamie's onto it. You know, he's like you're not really interested in sin, her sin or my sin. You're interested in power, is exactly. Um, so. That's why, yeah. That's why, because he's just because Jamie's just a king's guard taking him out. He's the I mean, Lord I, Commander of the King. It would be it would be Thank important. You very much. But Jamie, yes, yeah, true, the Lord Commander. <laughs> but he doesn't he doesn't wield a great political power. He certainly has influence because if he's close to people that have great political power. But as we know from the books, Jamie's not terribly interested in ruling and doing those sort of things. And High Sparrow probably knows that. He probably, he, Jamie's been around a while. He knows that Jamie has never shown an interest in those sort yeah. of things. And, of course, Cersei and Marjorie are both uh, much more, as women, are much more vulnerable to this sort of thing than Jamie. Yeah. So. And they're actually ambitious, and they actually want power, whereas Jamie is like, yeah. eh, I want to fight people. <laughs> I want to I regain my honor. You know, that's, what, that's his deal. Uh, so let's move on, I think. To Robert Strong. Uh, mm-hmm. He's never called that in the show, actually. We'll he doesn't really have a name you know, at all. We'll continue to call him that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's cool. We're getting close to, like, really, it's like a tease. It's just, like, showing what this guy can do. <laughs> just, but we're not quite there. We almost, with that scene with the Lannister guards being intimidated, I thought maybe that was going to be a little action. But yeah, I thought we were going to little... see them all killed or something for yeah. a moment. There. Just a little tease is all it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been waiting for uh, Robert Strong or whatever he's called in the show. In the books, I've been wait- I've been waiting to see what he can do. It seems like forever <laughs> now. And here, here on the TV show, it, it was quite satisfying. Yeah. We see Gregor Clegane smashing another head, don't we? Remembering not <laughs> only Oberyn but Baby Aegon too. Don't forget about that. Head was dashed against a wall. It says he disposed of that guy with. Like a, a similar ease to, to the way Wunwun dis- disposed of the guy in the Night's Watch scene. And I have to admit that I found a certain dark humour in both scenes. Am I, am I bad for that? Not at all. I think <laughs> uh, everyone, it, we, we watch it with a big group of people and we all laughed when that <laughs> happened. Just like, what's he going to do to him? Just, just mash. Just, it was so just... Simple and just just dismissive, like, <laughs> yeah, that was cool. And it's it's a bit to me, it's a bit of a sign that Cersei is starting to become herself again, which is that she's 
real petty <laughs> about these kind of things. Sending out, you know, sending out her man to kill a nobody for something like this is really not. I mean, it's hard to imagine that somebody else sent him. Like, first of all, no one seems to command him but her at this Maybe point. Maybe we're seeing. Possibly Kyber. Yes, that's that's the one thing that 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 makes me hedge on this point. But I think it was. I mean, she comes. He comes right back to Cersei. Cersei kind of notices the blood on his arm, and then heads out. She and he just follows her. And, yeah. And, uh, so. I think that points to her knowing that that she sees the blood and is no like, reaction. She's at like, all. just yes. good. It's done. You know, like that. Got what he was. Got what he deserved. <laughs> and then they have that confrontation with the Lannister guards, and uh, do. You, do you guys have to wonder what is going through their mind? Because Gregor Clegane is noted many occasions to be the only person in the kingdom who's that tall. You know, like the hound yeah. comes close, but <laughs> no one is eight feet tall. What are these guys thinking? Like, there's got to be Gregor Clegane in there. Like, who else could it be? <laughs> yeah, we know from we know from the. Dance of Dragons epilogue, which I published an episode on that recently, or we published an episode on that recently, rather, and talked about that very thing and how Kevin knows. He's like, I think he, Kevin seems to know who it is. And Kevin also thinks that T Tarly and Mace Tyrell, they all know who it is, too, but no one has any reason to talk about it. They're like, well, what's the point of bringing it up? It's just, <laughs> who's going to do something about it? You know, <laughs> you know, it's a good way to get your head smashed in. <laughs> so, Okay. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back to talk about Cersei and Tommen, and then we'll move on to Essos and beyond. All right, so that Cersei and Tommen scene, I just want to say that it was utterly ruined to me by the knowledge that Cersei is into incest, like, with her <laughs> cousin and her brother, and, like, I really feel like I shouldn't have gotten any weird feelings there, but... I felt weird watching that scene. I really did. Yeah. <laughs> Just me. But uh, so for some non-incest focused thoughts, let's go to Yoke Boy. Okay. What was interesting to me is Cersei asks if Marcella's shroud was gold or red. And she actually seems happy enough to hear that it was gold, which we, you know, the viewer could have predicted. But obviously the golden shrouds for her children were part of her feared Valenquire prophecy. So it's kind of like Cersei is watching fate unravelling before her eyes. And at this point there's just nothing she can do. She's almost resigned to the prophecy at this point. And so hearing that Marcella's had a golden shroud just doesn't surprise her or upset her or shock her at all. She, she just kind of takes it in a stride. She's not mm. bothered anymore. Well, yeah. I noticed an inverse parallel there with Mel, who's tried, uh, you know, we talked about the comparison between Mel and Cersei, I think, in the last episode. But here, or in this episode specifically, I thought they both tried so desperately to make prophecy, well, Mel has tried so desperately to help make prophecy come true, while Cersei has tried to keep it from coming true. But for all of their efforts the world is just happening, you know, fate is just happening the way it's going to happen. And in this episode, you see them both just resigned and defeated. And, um, that is a pretty cool parallel. Yeah. yeah. They're, but they're both, both coming back upswing, now. Really. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with Cersei though, there's a, it's a bit of a, a dark streak to it because she still thinks Tommen is doomed and there's nothing she can do about it. So she's going to do what she needs to do 
and she's going to help her son who's asking for help. And on some level, she's got to be pleased that Tommen's like talking to her the way she wants to be talked. He's, he's saying the things that she's wanted to hear. He's like, we need to, fo you know, take, you know, be terrible to our enemies and it's only us that matter. And so she's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. But why didn't you tell me this a long time ago? Or, or something like that. Because she's, you could tell she's, because she doesn't react really strongly to it. She's not like, yes, son, yes. She's just like, of course, I'll help you. Mm -hmm. And she just, but without a lot of emotion behind it. And I think that's because deep down she still believes the prophecy and she's like, well, yeah, I'm going to help you. Of course I'm going to help you. I'm your mother. He but, still thinks he's doomed. Ah, you're doomed. Which is a really <laughs> so, different from the uh, from book Cersei and book Tommen because really in the books, ma mainly she bullies Tommen. Yeah. They, they don't have these kind of tender moments. Yeah. And... <laughs> and she hasn't yeah. put, been pushed quite as far because Marcella's alive in the books. That's, that's a huge difference. And, you know, we predicted that there'd be some conflict between Tommen and Cersei. And maybe that was wrong. And now that they're uniting, or maybe that's just going to come later. Maybe it'll come... Once Marjorie's free. Yeah, yeah. Marjorie could be the, the, the divider there. But for now, they seem united. And that's interesting. So maybe that's just going to make their split bigger. But it's also interesting to point to because it's one of the few... Air regions. We talked so much about how every region is doing infighting. So far, the Lannisters are well, going the opposite direction for now. It, it, I, there's some problems with it. Well, but. see, I was saying that there is infighting when you look at it as King's Landing. Oh, yeah. Because we have the High Sparrow. Yes. So there agreed. is infighting in the capital. That's true. Um, it's just, I just mean within, within their own a, house. Within a family, yeah. You're right. But, yeah, that's, but, that's a good distinction know. to make for sure. Uh, so let's move on, I think, uh, to yeah. Essos. First, we're going to cover Marine. Yeah. And I wanted to cover first, which is kind of one of the biggest thoughts on my mind here. Um, it's kind of a minor thought, but I'm just wondering, how do you think that the dragons are going to get out of their room? Mm -hmm. Because there's a few options there. I don't think they can exactly walk out the door. Um, and it seems to me that the building has to be blown up or broken open in some way for them to get out. And uh, there's some options there. I was thinking that maybe Tyrion wants to let them free and he has to blow the door building open or i was thinking yeah. that the sons of the harpy either want to let them free or want to kill them and mess up yeah they'd be the quentin in this yeah <laughs> this situation. Uh, and then they blow a whole it bunch open. of quentins uh, or the other possibility is the dragons themselves are free they're strong maybe they get angry and they they're themselves like, break, to eat finally just bust through <laughs> i don't know I, I really don't see them walking through the door what about you aziz oh sorry what about you lady gwen no, I was I was going to agree with you. I don't I don't think they're going to the the way it's presented it doesn't look like they could get, <laughs> but it is they could just ignore that. Was what I was going to say. Like the show could just assume that maybe we didn't notice that. They have a big show them out in the air and be like There's oh, a rear entrance. <laughs> a rear entrance. Somehow, right? <laughs> That's funny. Service <laughs> elevator. Yeah. But I think uh, the bigger question than that question is will Tyrion ride a dragon? And if so, will it be this season? Uh, let's start with you, Lady Quinn. Well, it certainly seems like it's being set up that way. I think, I think, yeah, I'd really, I'd like to see that maybe right at the end of the season. Um, remember, um, dragon lore is important to Tyrion. I actually think that's a big part of his purpose um, to Illyrio's plot and A Dance with Dragons when he is spends that time with John Connington. So, yeah, I do think so. Yeah, I think Tyrion, Tyrion will definitely ride a dragon, in my opinion, humble opinion, in both the books and the TV show. 
it would actually make a very nice high point for Tyrion's story this season in the TV show if that happened there. As it seems like it's a pretty slow arc, doesn't it? And with the possibility of only 13 episodes left after this season, which is what D&D have been saying, you'd think they'd want to get him on a dragon fairly quickly. And so the end of the season might be a really nice possibility. Yeah, I agree with you. They, they don't have a whole lot of time to mess around with that. And I think we kind of all expect it to happen. I thought this scene was cool. They got to use a bit of dialogue from the books. That no, wasn't dialogue from the books, but it was lines from the books. Tyrion talking about his his past, his dreams of having... It's, it's, it's cool. It's actually like a thing he tells Jon in, early in book one mm -hmm. about the dreams of dragons. And here it is in season six of Game of Thrones. It just goes to show that even though they're past... What, you know the arcs of almost every book character. They can still use. They can still back up and use some of these lines from the from the you know, beginning of the story, which is really cool. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know about dragons recognizing friends though. Like, but really, to be honest, the dragons have been done a lot differently in the show. There's no you need the right blood. There's no three heads of the dragon prophecy. That's all very different. So we, this is a really good place to make sure you do not confuse your book canon with your show canon. It does mm -hmm. not have to work the same. You do not, you do not have to be a Targaryen. You do not have to have Targaryen blood. I mean, not that's not even 100% proven because of nettles, for example. <laughs> but so it's just we did, we sh we shouldn't fall into that trap of thinking it's going to work the same way. So yeah, I will say um, the scene. As much as I liked, I liked Tyrion. Some of his dialogue. In this scene, I liked him talking about his past, about asking his uncle for a dragon. I was disappointed about how we went about it. Um, Aziz immediately thought of nettles, and he thought that maybe he was going to bring food, because that's what Tyrion's asked if, you know... It's his last line. He says, I'm the time for them to have dinner. Yeah, and so <laughs> I thought we'd bring him some food and make them used to him. Or I, he asked Missande if Missande knows them, and I, so I thought Missande would go with him, and neither of those things happened. I was a little disappointing to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it was a good scene, but there were it was a little weird. There were some things that were a little strange about it, I think. Um, but anyway, more to come with that. We've got a lot to talk about, so we should move on from that real quickly here. A shout-out to our Patreon Northern Champions. Northern Champions get the benefit of episodes early and this shout-out every once in a while on episodes. First of all, Jay Wilson, Winter's King. Stephen Hill, Bastard of the Crag, a uh, Western bastard imported into the North, or exported to the North, how you like it. Sir Stephen, Hammer of the North. Small Paul of House Buckley, the Scourge of Skagos. Winter's King, a popular title these days, and a good one. Nico the Unknown of House Mormont, Bear Life, like that one. <laughs> Yeah. If you want to sign up to support the show on Patreon, go to historyofwesteros.com, click on the Patreon link on the right, browse all the options, and pick one that suits you. Hmm. Let's move on to Bravos, shall yes. we? Uh, I think we all agree it was a perfectly fine scene, well acted, well done, but no plot movement really, yeah. and it's nothing new to us. It's just same old Arya stuff, really, so we're not going to spend too much time here. Yeah, it's like a... It's, Certainly the slowest moving plot line at this point. That's not necessarily a bad thing, because frankly, some of the plot lines move too fast. But that said, there's really not a lot to say here. <laughs> like she's like Ashea said, yeah. there's I liked it. I, I yeah. like I really like seeing Maisie Williams just get the 
the shit beat out of her. I, it's really <laughs> enjoyable to me. I really don't like violence, but I really like seeing Arya beat up. <laughs> and swinging at nothing. It was humorous as well. Yeah, it was good. Uh, yeah, good scene, but yeah, there's not a lot to discuss about it. Uh, but there's a, li- there's a little bit to discuss. Uh, Young boy? Bit. Yeah, I guess the question is, the, the takeaway from the scene, is Jacken really teaching Arya to be the authentic no one? Or is he just forcing her to be a better liar? <laughs> I don't think any of us believe that Arya is truly becoming no one. And we did actually speak about this last week, so I'm not going to go over that again. But worth mentioning for sure. Definitely. And it's hard to tell. It really is hard to tell what his motivations are there. Uh, but let's move on to some very more exciting uh, subject matter, the Mm -hmm. Iron Islands, which Mm -hmm. also has uh, multiple scenes to go over. First, we're going to start with Balon and Asha. Yeah. Or Yara, Asha Yara, Yara. as we call her. Here's one of many things in this episode that are are lines from the books that are in a much different place than their book arc. Here we have uh, bits of Asha's Kingsmoot speech splattered throughout her talking to her father. And we also have... Especially the bit about pine cones and rocks and all that. And also a nod to, she mentions Deepwood Mott having fallen. It was their last stronghold that they had captured during this war. Of course, Deepwood Mott is where Asha is captured by Stannis in the book. So that's kind of, and it's the Glover's Castle, the castle that she herself captured during that engagement. So that's kind of neat, a little, little nod, a little parallel there. It's also... An extension, this scene shows us an extension of Balon's one victory that he can really claim. He tried so hard to get his revenge. He didn't really get his revenge, but he did outlive the guys he wanted to get revenge on. He's happy. At least he outlived Robert and Ned and all these other people that defeated him multiple times and kept him from doing what he wanted. So that's something for him to cling to. Unfortunately, he couldn't cling to the ropes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I also like how Asha points out that they're powerful at sea and weak on land. It's kind of a setup. It's something we all know, but it's it's good to point that out because it's I think it might be setting up Danny, mm-hmm. the involvement with her there. Lady Gwen, did you have some thoughts on this as well? Yeah, um, I know. You know, that was a good scene when Balon says the other four kings are dead, and I'm still here. Um, I thought that was pretty much of an uh-oh <laughs> moment, because um, that reminded us that he should be too, going back to the leeches and Mel's power, you know, so it should be reminding us not only that he's time might be, his time might be limited, but also Melisandre's power, which is something that um, Davos does again in a much later scene. He kind of catalogs all the things that she's done, so. Uh, so then let's move on. I think that's all about this Balon and Asha scene. Let's move on to Balon and Euron. Mm. This was a great scene. I really like the scene. There's a, I have a, a couple criticisms, but mostly I loved it. There's some nods to various Euron speeches in here. And that's the part I was not super happy on because those speeches were really, really awesome. And the paraphrasing them was felt a little weak. But... Other than that, the show did something really cool here that the book couldn't have done because Balin's death happened off screen. And that is this whole, like, who's the better Ironborn talk between them. That was just great because Balon is standing there accusing Euron of being a weak Ironborn because he couldn't handle himself in a storm at sea. He's like, what kind of Ironborn? And meanwhile, he's shaking with the bridge 
and moving around and being blown back and forth, and Euron is just stone still like a statue, and he's just kind of laughing at like, yeah, you're talking about sea legs, huh, brother? Look at me, totally still. You're sweeping and wobbling, and it was, I thought that was genius. It was really good. I, I didn't really even catch that at first. It was Sean, our, show, our Unsullied reviewer, who really honed in on that and pointed out to he's me. He's got a good eye for uh, visual directing elements. He like does. That. He really does. And so if you don't watch our show only reviews, that's one of the benefits right there. We've got someone with a keen eye for that sort of thing on our team. And uh, I kind of thought for a minute there with that little engage, little mm -hmm. fight there, Balon got in a slash on Euron's face. I thought they were going to have the eye thing I and maybe so do, do an that. eye patch. That would have cool. been cool. Because, of course, as we know, in the books, Euron wears that eye patch out of creepiness or vanity. Yeah. He doesn't actually, nothing's wrong with his eye other than that it's a different color as <laughs> his other one. So it would have, but still, they could have, you know, done that as a way to have him look more sinister. Mm -hmm. But now he just got a little cut on the face. <laughs> Uh, so we have a couple questions here. I don't think I'm going to direct them to you guys. I just want to get some uh, comments. Uh, I want to know what you guys think. Will Theon meet Euron? Will he make it to the Iron Islands and meet him? Uh, will Asha leave the Iron Islands on good or bad terms with Euron? And will Euron have a dragon horn? Mm. And you guys are welcome to answer this if you have a thought right now, but I mainly wanted to see what our commenters thought. Yeah, some of these questions are, are for you all to answer as well as us. You, you may have insights that we don't. Definitely, the, you commenters out there a lot of times notice things that we don't, and that's all part of the experience is being a community and working on these things together and you know addressing every idea on its own merit. Just because it didn't come from us doesn't mean it's not a good idea. <laughs> and uh, I'll answer it a little bit, I suppose. I really don't know if I think Asha's going to leave the Iron Islands on good or bad terms. Before this episode, I thought there was a chance it was going to be good terms, that she was going to be sent by Euron to go to Daenerys. Uh, but now that she seems pretty set on it being murder and Euron's going to show right up, I don't know that she'll just trust him. Yeah, I think it's set up for them to come in conflict because she said, whoever did this, I'm going to feed them to the sharks. But he, but he might bring her around to his side or she might pretend to be on his side. It's true. It's true. I mean, if she's going to sort of play the role of Yara Victarian, Yarktarian, Vic Yara, <laughs> if that's what we're, we're heading towards, then she might do a thing like Victorian does, which was agree to help, but really have her own agenda all along, which, well, she won't be able to marry Daenerys in, 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 in place of Euron like Victorian's plan is, but <laughs> she may have some sort of uh, tricky thing planned. Yeah. The horn question is really interesting. I think they kind of have to do the horn. I think they have to have dragon conflict in the, in the show. I think they're going to want to do that. But they might not. I, I really hope they do. I really hope they do because it's a cool thing. I think the sh people, I think show watchers will get really excited for the possibility of that because it's really the first time any of the other plots, any of the other plot lines or, or regions in the story have addressed Daenerys' dragons in any sort of meaningful way. Like, what are we going to do? Like, even King's Landing at the end of A Dance of Dragons is just like, we'll deal with them. <laughs> How we, we'll be ready for them. No, nothing specific. Just Mace Tyrell's like, yeah. We'll be ready for them. If she ever, mm -hmm. if she bothers to come here, we'll be ready for her. How? What are you going to do? She's got dragons and maybe Dothraki and all this stuff. Like, Euron's actually got a plan, as crazy as it is. He's actually thinking about the dragons and working on that whole thing. So I, I think they're going to want to do that. Hmm. We'll, we'll see. Um, assuming neither of you have any more thoughts, uh, I think we'll move on to the funeral. Uh, so the funeral, I think... I know Aziz and I thought that it was well done. We enjoyed it. It was, uh, it was cool, pretty, yeah. Pretty cool. Uh, I like the little prayer they invented there. Yeah, and so to, uh, the priest was uh, confirmed by Watchers on the Wall. Uh, 
Always check Aeron. watches on the wall for, for stuff like this. They're really on top of this sort of thing. So it's Aaron Damp hair uh, with the damp hair. He, he did have, have damp hair. Uh, and he's played by Michael Feast. Uh, he's been he's aged up pros, a bit, maybe? I guess. Yeah. But um, personally, I really liked the, t the detail of the seaweed that they put over Balon's face That right was cool. There. Yeah. Sorry, that's the one thing missing from John's resurrection at Melisandre's re resurrection salon. <laughs> she should have put cucumbers on his eyes and seaweed on his face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was no skin care at all in her salon. Uh, we have in our notes for this episode, devolve into seaweed jokes. Yeah, because when is... we're preparing for the episode, you know, <laughs> sometimes we just go off on the lame jokes, or really good jokes in this case. Yeah, these are good jokes. <laughs> Whereas some of my other jokes are bad. But, uh, so we talked a little bit about Asha knowing that it's murder. So how did Asha know it was murder? I have some thoughts on this. I think it's, there's two main reasons, and it's the two work sort of in concert together. Balon falling from the bridge is not very likely. That's a bridge he crosses all the time, and as they talked <laughs> about on the bridge... to his bedroom. <laughs> they're supposed to be good at handling storms. And that's the rope was high on that. It's pretty hard. Like I can see you falling and slipping, but falling over the bridge, that's that's not likely. Let's let's be honest. That's just really not something that you would expect to see happen even for an older man like that. It's falling over the side. It's just not likely at all. Second of all, he drew his dagger. It's not going to be have been in his sheath. So it's th that it's not that likely that the dagger would come loose falling, even though he fell that great distance. Because he didn't hit the rocks, he went into the water. Uh, at least, and even if he did hit the rocks, it's not that likely that's going to dislodge his dagger from his sheath. It's possible, just like it's possible that he fell off the bridge. But both those things together, very unlikely. So I, I think that's how she knew. Good job, CSI. <laughs> Westeros CSI. <laughs> <laughs> CSI Iron Islands. Uh -huh. <laughs> CSI Pike. <laughs> all right, so we've gotten through all the regions. I can't believe it. We did. Uh, we're on to our little wrap-up pre-credits area, and we've been asked a few times to do a little bit of an episode rating, 1 to 10. So we're going to go around and give our episode rating. For me, it's closer to an 8.5. I would not round it up to a 9. I would round it up down to an 8. But as he said, we can do 0.5. So mine's an 8.5. I'm right with you. I'm going to give an 8.5 also. I was debating between the 8 or the 8.5, but I just really liked it. And the more I thought about it, the more I liked it. Sometimes upon further review, things get worse. You think you find holes and, and inconsistencies. Upon further review, I like this one more. Mm -hmm. I like the Euron scene more after the, the fact. The brand scene was just awesome right away, and yeah. it stayed awesome. Uh, the noticing some of the themes of the episode upon reflection were really cool. So yeah, eight, eight and a half. Uh, Lady Gwyn. I'm right. We're right there with you guys. Eight and a half. Right there. Yeah, mm -hmm. boy. Yeah, I'll give it an eight. Sorry, uh, eight. sorry to go down 0.5. Maybe I'm just a strict <laughs> marker. I really, really enjoyed the episode a heck of a lot, and eight's a you know high mark. I think. Yeah, that is really. I high. think it's a high mark too. Yeah, it's definitely. This is the episode I've liked more. More than I don't know when the last episode I liked this much was. It definitely wasn't last season. Before that, uh, and that bodes well because a lot of us were really worried about how the season yeah. would go because they don't have as much book material to draw on. But as we're seeing, there's a surprising amount of book material for them to still draw on. They're just doing it in a different order. Like Tyrion's again, going harkening back to Tyrion's speech to the dragons, which to me he was psyching himself up to stay calm because dragons can sense fear like any animal, and he was just doing that to like make him to calm himself. Mm -hmm. It was a kind of a cool device. 
that's, again, from early Game of Thrones, that those lines. And if we're going to go to the Riverlands later, then there's a lot of book material they can use mm -hmm. there. So. Um, so another thing we wanted to cover was what our favorite and least favorite moments are. So I'm going to ask everyone um, at the same time, you know, what your favorite and least favorite moments are. I'll start with myself. Yeah, you start. Uh, my absolute favorite moment was, of course, Lyanna Starr. She was perfect. It was really good in her Boyd's clothing and her horse, and it was awesome. My other favorite moments were uh, the newly improved leaf, as I mentioned before, and just that whole brand scene was just my favorite. It was really good. Um, my least favorite moment was that, to me, it didn't really seem clear enough that it was Aaron in that scene, and that Asha seemed kind of clueless about the legal process there, and I really thought that was another case where just one or two lines would clarify everything. But I, it will be clarified soon. Um, really, I had very few complaints this episode. My biggest complaint, I think, was just I thought the CGI on the dragons was kind of weak. Hmm. Just like with the Daenerys' never-ending story, I feel like the bigger the dragons are getting, the more unrealistic they're looking. I mean, I know they're dragons. They're not realistic. <laughs> they're fantasy creatures. But that was mine. Really minor. Like I said, I like this episode. Uh, so let's go to you, Aziz. I really liked, because I'm such a Robert Strong fanboy, which is a no weird character to like, because, you know, he's a giant undead zombie thing, but I've been really, I've been talking for, since last season, Yoke Boy 2, we talk a lot about how we're excited to see him in action, and this this, this tease of that, him intimidating, this just is like flinch towards the Lannister guards, and they all just like, mm -hmm. plus their reaction when he walks away, and the lead guy's like, oh see the fear just melting away like oh man I did not want to face that thing so that was really cool I love that moment really honestly probably the brand flashback was cooler but you guys you mentioned that and they're gonna mention I it I think too. I'm not the only one who you're not the only one who thought that was their best so I just wanted to mention something different <laughs> what about your least favorite my least favorite moment in the episode you the most hmm I actually struggled to come up with my least favorite moment I think it I think it's probably just the simplicity of Roos's death. Like, it was just sort of... I, I thought it deserved a little more fanfare, which is similar to The Resurrection. was also just kind of simple, which is, I didn't mind that as much upon reflection, but my but the Bolton thing was a little rushed to me, and... Uh, yeah, but that's... T but I, don't, I didn't hate it, I guess, so I, I, that just shows you how strong this episode mm -hmm. was, and I couldn't really... It was hard for me to pick out what my least favorite moment was. <laughs> All right, what about you, Yoke Boy? Okay, my favourite was Bran's flashback, and in particular seeing the really happy medieval lifestyle in Winterfell. And I would actually love a whole entire episode of Bran flashbacks, and I'm sure you guys would too. Um, as for my least favourite, like like you guys, there's nothing that I really hated about the episode at all. So I'll I'll kind of pick something which I really didn't like, which was Ramsey holding a baby. I, I found <laughs> that worse and more, I found that more disturbing than when he actually released the dogs, just when he was there with a baby in his hands. And you're, you're thinking, what's he going to do? I thought he's going to drop it on the floor or something horrible. Yeah, it was like a tease of what's to come, something horrible. It's like, is it going to be now, right in the open? No. <laughs> It'll be two minutes later. All right, uh, Lady Gwyn, what about you? Well, I'm going to have to go with Liana. Uh, definitely. Big high point. Um, also, when Theon said to Sansa, I would have died to get you there. I mean, I'm just, my God. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. tears. Something about both 
last week and this week, the scenes between Theon and Sansa just really got me. Right on. Uh, so my least favorite moments, obviously, anything to do with Ramsay, Ramsay and a baby, Ramsay, when he released the dogs and his eyes were kind of like, there's a close up and his eyes are tracking back and forth. You can see him kind of, it's really gross. But then, you know, that was least favorite because of the, the content. Episode wise, um, kind of the dialogue in Marine seems really weak. Uh, mm. Didn't didn't care for that much, and like we mentioned, maybe a couple of um, you know pacing things in some of the other things, like with the resurrection and like you just said with the ruse. So, but overall, I mean, obviously, liked it. Like that's good. Much. It's it's a good sign. Our yeah. our our criticisms are pretty mild all yeah, around. Yeah, we got to really really dig in there to find our criticisms. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Something we didn't talk about mm-hmm. uh, from an overarching view, the theme of uh, a small sub theme of giants in this episode. We talked about the mention of Hodor's giant's blood and which is probably not a literal meaning, but it, it might have been. But mostly about, you know, him being unstoppable and that possibility line we see the mountain being unstoppable, easily crushing the head, and then we see one one the same things. This is an interesting presence of giants in this episode, yeah. which I don't know that there's any deeper meaning to that. It's just kind of cool and maybe something to look forward to more of. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be a theme of the season is this, these big people being formidable. Uh, from yeah. Robert Strong, as we know he's going to be featured in one one, we can imagine he's not going to stop being badass. Maybe we'll and see. And I think we'll see Hodor maybe do maybe have a little fight of his own if Bran works into him. And maybe we'll see some sort of great creature of the White Walkers. <laughs> maybe they've got like the ice. Maybe we'll see the ice spiders or yeah. some sort of ice. I don't suppose we'll see maybe an ice dragon or an <laughs> ice giant would fit this theme. But yeah, I guess the dragons kind of fit into that too. They're so huge. Could they They're be, unstoppable. Yeah. What about an undead giant? Some giants were killed. What if the walkers bring a yeah, As we saw, as we were talking about, if, if Melisandre manages to bring back one one, we'll have giant versus giant. <laughs> Whoa. Oh. Clash of the Titans, literally. Uh, <laughs> yes. Okay, so support, what we've some of you have heard this before. We talked about how we wanted to do a bit of a support group theme from time to time. And the uh, the concept of that comes from one of our listeners, Lady Dire Liz of Cal- Castle Naki, the alpha patron. <laughs> and she suggested that we, a while back, that we discuss how to deal with the books being passed by the show. And I think a lot of us have kind of settled into the idea that, hey, a lot of this isn't spoiling the books. But, hey, some of it is. So, by talking through some of these plot lines, we may be able to get a better handle on what does and doesn't apply, and that can maybe help us to come to terms with what we've been spoiled on, or what we haven't been spoiled on, because it's nice to think, hey, this is probably going to be a lot different in the books. So that's something to look forward to, the fact that it's going to be a lot Mm -hmm. different, that we haven't been spoiled, that we have no idea what's coming, even though the show has just blatantly done things that are, you know, important. So... We kind of discussed the resurrection thing a lot already. We don't necessarily need to talk about that, but it's important to note as one of the things that's a parallel to the books, Theon returning to the Iron Islands. Hmm. What do you guys think about that? Is this going to be like a Torgon the Latecomer thing? Is this going to tie? It's so hard to tell because it seems like they're going to do the King's Moot. Well, they're definitely going to do the King's Moot. Is Theon going to be there for it? Which would be a big difference than the books, obviously. I don't think he will. Think he'll get there afterwards? I think he'll get there after. I just, I think it'd just be so much simpler for them. Yeah, like he'd have to be in the king's mood if he showed up, and he would have to lose, presumably, and then that would close the door on yeah. something coming later. 
I tend to agree with you. What do you guys think? Yeah, I don't think he's going to make it for that. I mean, it's so hard to say what's going to happen in in the show. I mean, in the in the books, um, I I tend to think that his destiny lies elsewhere. Um, even because the the whole the Thea on the latecomer thing is more of a thing of people wanting to use him for their own, even though it's his sister, for their own purposes. Once again, which has been a theme of his of his arc, and I think he's got to escape that somehow. So, so a lot of these things we discussed throughout the episode, so this is, some of this is tying up the loose ends and kind of putting together in one section these things that we think are the most important parts to relate to the books, along with the resurrection thing. And Theon, we have wild, the wildlings reacting to John's death, which I think... There's a good chance it'll be different. I think a lot of people predict like a bloodbath situation there at the wall. And that kind of maybe colored our expectations for what would happen in the show. And it was anything but a bloodbath, except for one guy got a bloodbath, I suppose. <laughs> the, the Sir Patrick Whoever nod. was underneath that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whoever just got sprinkled with the, with blood, the blood shower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, so that's, it's, but that's hard to predict. We don't know whether, maybe we were all wrong about what's going to happen at the wall. Maybe it will be more contained. Maybe the wildlings will be upset, but they won't just go around slaughtering Night's Watchmen. But we have this rampaging giant already <laughs> at the wall. He's been stabbed, you know, nastily by Sir Patrick and, and all that. So I guess that's just kind of hard to say. Yes. Bran leaving the cave is a big, was a fairly big surprise. Lady Gwen, you expected that though, didn't you? I did, Yeah. Yeah, I've I've never. Um, I always have to throw in and be a little different on certain things. And no, I've never thought Bran was going to stay in that cave. It just didn't feel satisfying for his arc. So when when she said that, I was like, yes. But you know, but then there's that part of you that's like, wait a minute. I don't know. Is that really the sport? You know, who knows yeah, think- how we're finding these things out? <laughs> yeah, and this is one of the ones I tend to think is more likely to be a. Spoiler or have a relation to the book than some of the other ones. It's a little more of a long-term end game type of detail versus Theon going to the Iron Islands. It's like that doesn't have to relate to his end game, nor does the Wildlings' reaction and all these tiny details. Where these long-term things, I put a little more weight to the show. Yeah. So, okay, what about Willis and Hodor? I mean, that, we, we didn't really, I don't know if anybody even saw that coming at all as far as in the books. I mean, we, we, we see it coming in that we think that he didn't always just say Hodor. He had an identity before this. Yeah. We don't see it happening in this way or Bran finding this out like this, but I don't think it was a surprise to any of us to see Hodor talking. Yeah, I guess it wasn't a surprise. It's, it's maybe it's a surprise to hear that we're going to learn that we're going to learn more. That the fact that they decided this is important to show because they have to cut things out because they can't show everything. So the fact that they're showing this, maybe that's a surprise to me that it's that it's worth showing that, it's, that yeah, they think, think it's important. Yeah, I think when we tie it, like people had theories about how Hodor, how this happened, and tying it to the characters we see, like Benjen or Rhaegar or whatever theories they have, and that's where it maybe gets more significant. But I also think it's possible that we see this just because Hodor's really popular in the show. <laughs> like, he's really insanely popular. And so I can't help but have some doubt about any the significance of this relating to the books because of that. Hmm. And it's also not an endgame thing, so I have more doubt. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a very good point. Okay, one other item on the book connection to show action that we're doing here. 
Yoke Boy, tell us what you think about Ramsey and Roos. That's certainly something that's, I think we, ta- we talked about it a bit earlier, that we think it's going to be a bit different. Maybe you've got some ideas on why it might be different. Maybe not how, because that's kind of unpredictable, but why it might be different, I think we've honed in on a bit. Yeah, I have to say that it is, is possible that Ramsey does kill Roos. Like you say, differently is the most likely. You've got to remember that Book Roos is far, far more wary of Ramsey's. He's far more clued up. And he notes that any other heirs will be in immediate danger from Ramsey. I mean, it's spelled out. So you get some insight into Roos's mind. And he's certainly not going to trust him enough to give him a a nice little affectionate bear hug. So (laughs) you'd expect it to be different. And I I just want to... I was on George's Not a Blog, which is where he writes about the sad puppies. <laughs> it's it's George's personal blog where he he writes about NFL and stuff like that. But he did actually make a comment recently. He said a character dying on the show does not mean they will die in the books, and some who will die will not die in the same way or at the same hands. And that's George's words. So who knows what, what, what he was posting that in reference to. But I think it's just a general warning about blurring the canons between the books and shows and taking away too much that we see. Right on. Good takes there. Okay, so let us make some acknowledgments. Thanks, of course, to Lady Gwyn and Yoke Boy. Tell everyone, again, where to find you out there on the interwebs. Yeah, we're from Radio Westeros. We're a podcast, and come and find us at RadioWesteros.com. Alternatively, we do have a YouTube channel, which is just Radio Westeros, and we'd love to see some of you guys coming and giving us a try, see what you think. Yeah, well, their latest episode or pair of episodes is on Littlefinger, a character who has yet to appear this season. I'm sure we're wondering when he's going to pop up. Probably pretty soon, maybe next episode, although no indication of that mm-hmm. yet. We'll see. So let me thank our Patreon supporters. Thanks to First Lord Cash Craig, Hand of the King, and Lord of Mines, Lord of Makers. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog and Warden of the West. Thanks to Lord Georgeville, Lord Georgeville, Lord George Stormsville, the cunning, Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Lord John Reed is the is Lord of Castle Woodbridge, the Lord Borealis, the Light of the North, and Warden of the North. Outside the realm, we have Rory the Rogue, Archer Extraordinaire, and King Beyond the Wall, subjugator of the show-only version of the Thens, meaning the cannibal tribes. That would that had to be a tough one. We have Lord James Inkblade, the Scholar Knight, Master of Whisperers, our se- the senior member of our small council. We also have Lord Robert Jacobs, Master of Coin. Rosie the Clever is Master of Laws. And Lord James Tuttle is Master of Ships, a.k.a. Grand Admiral, if you prefer mm-hmm. Cersei's Feast for Crows titles. We have Lady Dyrlis of Castle Naki mentioned earlier, the Alpha Patron. Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell, Breaker of the Second Stone, meaning the second Patreon milestone we ever had. Lord Skip of the Velt, Lord of Castle Ganges. Cabethia and Frozen, Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light. Mary Meg, Lady of the Bloody Stepstones. Gregor the Toasty, Lord of the Breadfort. Alicia Everlasting of the Greenblood, Lady of Desert Rose. Jeffrey the Unflinching, Lord of Sand Lake. Lord Greybay of the Queen City. Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate, Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord Garen de Havilland of Devil's Hand Keep. 
Lord Brandon Slate, the North Hammer, Harbinger of the Old Gods, Lady Bram, Light of Winter's Garden, Beacon of the Northwest, and Lord Mark Joseph, the Snow in Winterfell. Also thanks to King's Justice Sir Troy the Steady, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. Thanks to Sir Terence, Knight of the Cedars. Thanks to our new Lord Commander Casey Harrison of the Kingsguard, as well as our Knight's Watch helpers, Lord George the Golden, and First Ranger Fabian Flowers, the Bastard of Green Shield. And thanks to all the other patron supporters. If you want to check out our us on Patreon, again, it's go to historyofwesteros.com. On the upper right, there's a link to Patreon. And everything that you need to know is explained there. So, let's talk about spoilery stuff, post-credits, spoilery fun. Uh, Ashaya, tell us some things about the upcoming, the blurbs for the upcoming episode. All right, I will share the description. It's fun to think about how they could be tricking us, like with that Night's Watch. Yeah, we got to be on our guard now after yeah. that, right? Standing behind the Lord Commander. Oh, they Daener got us yeah, good it was, there. It's Daenerys meets her future. Bran meets the past. Tommen confronts the High Sparrow. Arya trains to be no one. Varys finds an answer. And Ramsay gets a gift. Okay. Yeah, that gets a gift is uh, the worst. Uh, yeah. The well, gift of death. <laughs> <laughs> the but, the uh, gift of gab. Ramsey becomes very talkative. Uh, uh, but first, um, so if they don't see, they don't mention John here, but we know we're going to see John as we, we saw yeah, in the, the preview. The, the preview shows him kind of walking amongst the wildlings and them kind of like in awe. Yeah. And so. a voiceover says, they think you're like a. Yeah, yeah. What, they, what they think the you're a god. A god, okay. Yeah, they yeah, they yeah. call him a god. Um, they yes, yeah, so they think you're a god, and we're assuming they're talking about John. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, they weren't talking about Ollie. I would say Mel. <laughs> I would say goddess for Melisandre is all like that. That's very what, good point. Very good point. But it seems likely to be John because probably of not Davos. But <laughs> uh, but so the question is, what will the official story of John's death and resurrection be? Will it be an attempted murder? Or will the actual story of his resurrection spread? And I I think it's going to spread because of this line about being a god. I don't think they can keep it contained if these wildlings just know. So whether people are going to believe it in the realm at large, who knows? But it'll be spread, I think. Uh, Yoke Boy had um, a really interesting thought here. Yeah, earlier I mentioned one potential parallel between John and Danny that might be emerging. And this thing about John being perceived as a god could be another. The wildlings could see John as a god, and the Dothraki could follow Danny. Similarly, once they get a taste of Drogon, they might kind of see her as a god, or see the dragon as a god, or and her as the rider of that anyway. So they, these two factions could be following John and Danny for these kind of um, divine reasons. <laughs> I like that interpretation a lot. The the, the Dothraki. They're all about riding. Horses mm -hmm. is th the main thing. And Danny's got, like, this super nuclear horse. <laughs> I was thinking about there even a similarity between who would be following them and that they're both a savage, uh, wilder culture. They're oh, wildlings and Dothraki. That's a really good observation. But, um, yeah, the wildlings really, and the Dothraki. I think that's it's a really great cool. parallel that Yokoi caught there that I personally hadn't caught at all, and I'm looking forward to seeing that parallel, and I think it will be. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, you so wonder if that'll be like that in the books. Maybe the wildlings will think of John like they'll be in awe of him or they'll yeah. be afraid of him, you know, because like, you could see them being afraid of him like because they're afraid of the walking dead 
dead. The, Walking the TV dead. show, they're afraid of it, you know. <laughs> they're afraid of televisions. What is that strange device with pictures and talking and all that? So, uh, yeah, so I could see that going differently in the books, but in fact, I would guess this possibility if, if the trailer didn't tell us otherwise. <laughs> So. <laughs> uh, so let's move on to something that we're very worried about. Yeah. Uh, in that we hear Ramsey gets a gift from the Umbers, and they say, I have a gift for you in this little preview. Yeah, and then, then the screenshot of Ramsey. Uh, I, I know, I paused it, looked at it. He's he's clearly looking down at someone, and he's got this awful, horrible, like, wicked wolf grin on his face like you know that's exactly what i wanted (laughs) exactly and the way he says i forget exactly what he says but the way he says it is is as if you're speaking to a child that that was just my possibly colored Mm -hmm. interpretation because i'm already dreading it but i really felt like he's talking to a little kid there yeah and then of course we have that line from one of the trailers before the season do you want to play a game little man or maybe it's do you like games little man uh and we thought at the time that it was maybe rick on we were hoping against hope it was little finger or something else (laughs) and we still we still have a little bit of a hope here and that maybe just maybe it's a fake rick on yeah frick on frick on like faria or (laughs) fagon from the books and that would make a lot of sense for for them to adopt this plot and kind of change it you know they have instead of a fake aria given to ramsey you have a fake rick on given to ramsey that that could totally be the case and the problem with it is, if they were going to do this, why didn't they do it sooner? The timing of it makes it seem like they're allying with Ramsey now that he's kind of come out on top. Stannis is gone. Roos is gone. The North is in disarray a bit. So bringing a gift to the new leader is a great way to get in with him. And this is this moment during his moment of triumph. But, you know, that doesn't mean they're not like, holy crap, what did you do? We're against you, but we're not going to be upfront about it. A couple of things to remember here. There's no Great John in the books or in the show anymore because he was the actor left the show after season two and they just didn't bother to recast him. So there's no Great John in captivity at the at the River Run, which is an important thing. In fact, in the books, he may not even be a captive at River Run anymore because Jamie ordered Lord Walder to give all the prisoners to the crown. We don't know if that actually happened yet, but it's important to note that even in the books, Great John may no longer be a captive of the phrase. But it's also important to note that in the books, Ramsey knows what Rickon and Bran look like because he's the one that was with Theon when they were hunting for them and all that. He saw them, etc. But here in the show, Ramsey's never met Rickon or Bran. So that doesn't so that leaves this possibility open. So maybe it's too much to hope for. Maybe we're just like trying to find hope against something that's gonna be horrible, but uh, another little thing that lends a little more credibility to the theory to me is the inclusion of Manderley in that, in Karstark, Umber, and Manderley. And we know, so, and we know Davos is going to go around to the Northern Lords, like trying to give up support, so we get we can get that scene, we can get the here's the real Rickon, you know. Yeah, maybe so, maybe that so. Would be great. I, I still lean towards it being the real Rickon, just because I don't want to get my hopes up. I'd rather be pleasantly surprised right now and see that it's a little a fake Rickon. Yeah. But we'll, we'll see. Uh, Fingers are crossed, but, yeah. you know, I'm not going to be laying any bets on it. <laughs> uh, but another question about this gift uh, is, why are the Umbers revealing it now? Yeah. And one idea is, Stannis just died recently. It's been, like, maybe as much as a week, because um, obviously Sansa and Brienne and Theon are just out in the woods. We, we figured it couldn't have been that long since Stannis died. Yeah. 
So Agreed. it's just about enough time for them to decide to show their gift. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't have any answers. I have more mm. questions. Like, <laughs> would, would they know about Sansa? Um, you know, have they man- have the Boltons managed to contain that information? Could the Umbers know about that and genu- now think that they're helping? Like, oh, here we got another Stark for you. Yeah, <laughs> replace the one you lost. <laughs> or were they? Did they just want to maybe? reunite Sansa with her little brother and like they thought it was safe to come out now (laughs) (laughs) thought as well Uh, one thing um, I think Aziz took note of was that Karstark is in the room when Roos mentions that he lost Sansa so Karstark if you didn't know before he knows now the Karstark conspirators who clearly are with Ramsay this this weakens his position a bit and they don't know Bran and Rickon are alive too so if that comes up well if I assume if this is a Rickon or fake Rickon, then the Karstark will see that too, and one way or another he'll he'll be fooled, or it'll be the real Rickon, and there'd be nothing to be fooled about. <laughs> um, I think that's it on this terrifying subject. Yes, we uh, should know by next week, though. Uh, well, at yeah. least we don't have that long. Uh, we had to wait. The, we had the thought that like, what if he's like, I gave you a gift, and it ends on like the shot of Ramsay looking down, and you don't. Yeah, see we have him to yet. wait another week. But, then, no, hope, I'm sure. Then in week, then in week four, they don't go to the Boltons at all. So we like uh, have to wait till week five. <laughs> uh, I hope. Not. Uh, uh, okay, so another uh, big question is: Will R plus L equals J be explicitly shown in this next episode? Or the season at all? Or are they going to just allude to it and not really make it clear? And the reason we ask this question is because we know, for some, I know some of you, I, we've been told that some watchers of the show outside the U.S. don't always get to see what the pre- preview for next week is. And so w- some people don't know why we're talking about that. It's because the Tower of Joy scene is coming next week. We see the lines. The lines we see. And now it begins. Now it ends. So... so- Get hype. <laughs> I think it's possible that we see the fight next week. And they save. We don't even see Liana next week at all yet. I think we will, but I hope we will. But I think it's possible that they spread it out longer. I think we'll get some serious hints and clues, but I don't think it'll be explicit this season. I think it will be because I think, will. I think they need to make it explicit because they don't want to leave such an important detail to subtlety. And because of the timing, they're going to clearly are doing this Tower of Joy scene basically the moment that John comes back. And so I think they're going to ex- try to explain it all together. Be a but, long flashback. Yeah, that's true. You're right. It will be a long flashback. And, and again, I'm, I'm excited to see the flashback either way because they got a real swordsman to do this mm-hmm. and see who they cast for these other roles. So, uh, Lady Gwyn, what are your thoughts? Um, I think I, I think that this season, yes, they have to um, because it wouldn't be their style to sort of lay all this groundwork and then drag it out to another season. So I think by the end of the season, we're going to know. My opinion is not in the next episode because they really have to reemphasize the connection between Rhaegar and Lyanna, which they haven't done yet. They set that up kind of a little bit, you know, at the end of the last season with. Um, Sansa and Littlefinger in the crypt and he meant you know so he gave this whole dialogue about them so that should be in the back of people's minds but they have to bring that back in to remind people that I don't think they're going to manage to do all that in one episode in one one flashback scene um what I'm hoping and my call is that the scene just they do the whole Tower of Joy scene and it ends with Lyanna and a baby mm-hmm. mm. uh Yoke Boy my hope. I think 
I agree with Lady Gwyn very much. You know, the ending with the uh, Liana had a child could be next week's kind of surprise. I know they like to rush through things and they're on a really tight schedule, but having just met Liana and also having never met, never seen Rhaegar, I think that there's going to be more pieces of the puzzle to be thrown out through the season. And really, I hope this is what they do. I hope that it's just not all dumped on us in one rushed episode. I want a few more pieces. I want to see Rhaegar, really. And RLJ, you've got to understand these dynamics for, for the, you know, to understand the whole theory. There's, there's also just something that just kind of just occurred to me now is that it, it, hearkening back to what we talked about at the beginning, the fact that it's... The three-eyed blood raven is guiding these visions. He's showing, he said, Bran's mm -hmm. like, you show me something I wanted to see. That implies there's a method to what he's showing him. There's a very, there's a, a sequence of things he wants to show him, maybe. And if the Tower of Joy is the next one, then that really gives away that blood raven knows the deal with John. He knows who his parents are. He's, and that's an important detail he wants to share with Bran. And if Bran's going to be leaving the tree, then that's how that news gets delivered Brand leaves and gets to tell people this and hopefully they believe him <laughs> or who knows what's going to happen with there yeah. but I think it's kind of the path is kind of laid out a bit there it may mm -hmm. not be that exact path but that one works if that's the way it is all right uh moving on uh this was a question that Radio Westeros received um will we see Ned Sword Ice at the Tower of Joy scene if not why not and there's one answer here um from the books whether the show does it similarly um in a suspect Martin from 2015, um, when asked if Ned ever used ice in battle, George pointed out that it was a great sword, very large and cumbersome. It was a ceremonial sword for beheading people more than a fighting sword. And he suggested that it was prob probably too heavy and clumsy to use unless you're the mountain. This is a little contradicted in some of what he's written, but, um, and, and I could see the show having ice there, but I think it's likely that it won't be. And I think, it's I reasonable. Agree. I agree. And especially because they don't, if they were going to show a greatsword, why not have Arthur Dane fight with the greatsword? And it's very clear from the trailers that this Arthur Dane is going to be a different sort of badass. He's going to fight with two swords, not one. So he's clearly not going to be wielding. Either he's not wielding Dawn, or he's dual wielding with one sword being Dawn and the other being some other sword, which seems kind of unlikely. So I'm guessing there's no Dawn and no ice and just a you know, normal, well choreographed fight <laughs> that ends some way or another. So. Yeah, I don't. It doesn't seem like Don's going to be in the show at all. Uh, so that also means ice is pretty unlikely, especially because of what George said. I think that's pretty telling. Yeah, um, I don't know if you guys have any more thoughts there. No. Uh, no, I agree. I think I think the show just doesn't do do yeah. you know name swords. So <laughs> I think we're uh, okay, so let's move on to, this will be a short segment, our worry of the week. Yes. I'm going to guess it's probably, <laughs> pretty, it's probably <laughs> pretty unanimously Rickon, but I'll still see if there's any other answers here. Mine's just Rickon. That's my answer. Yeah, I'm still very worried about Rickon, and I'm, I'm not really worried about anyone else right now. I, I had a brief thought to be maybe worried a little bit about Varys, but that was mostly from last year. I guess I'm still worried about Dario. He's nothing's changed from last week. We haven't seen him, so I'm still worried about him. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm just—it's just all about Rickon for me right now. Mm -hmm. I think. Uh, I'm worried about Rickon and the uh, Kingsguard Knights at the Tower of Joy. 
good. Uh, Something tells me they've got trouble coming their way. <laughs> and Ned's companions too, most of them. <laughs> uh, Lady Gwen? Uh, doubt, yeah, Rickon, of course. Um, so a little bit, little bit of Theon. I just didn't. Mm. I don't like Theon roaming mm. around all by himself out there. I feel, <laughs> I feel a little uneasy about that. So yeah, I feel uneasy see. about him possibly coming in contact with Euron. I feel like Euron would just kill him if he met him. I really right. feel like he should kill him just, if he met him, yeah, even I mean, if he's not a man. He's the same reason mm. to kill. Theon as he did to kill Balon, a similar reason anyway. Exactly. So no matter which home, like we were talking about before, no matter which one he's going to, it's like, oh, he's, he's just danger either <laughs> in any direction he goes. So. <laughs> uh, all right. I think that wraps, just about wraps it up. That does. That wraps this episode up. A couple of closing thoughts. One thing, folks, if you have more feedback about this episode or about things you want to see us do during the season, we responded to the request to rate these episodes, so little things like <laughs> I that. I said rape these episodes, really. <laughs> Whoa there. Yeah. Where do you, how do you do that? No. no I don't, I don't. <laughs> and so if you guys have suggestions for things you want us to do, uh, send them our way. We'll strongly consider any suggestion. And we're definitely going to do a few of these episodes this season well, these are all live recordings, but we're going to open up the live recordings for people to view. We haven't decided exactly which week we're going to start doing that. We're not going to do it every week. But that'll allow people to see this a little sooner. It'll allow people to participate a bit more. Sometimes it'll be live just for people to watch. Sometimes we'll open up for the Q&A. But it's a bit early in the season for some of that. But we're going to be doing that soon. But certainly we welcome feedback on that process. Things you'd like to see us do during these more interactive episodes, etc. So send, that your, send us your thoughts on that as well as any other feedback about the show, as well as our show. Our show, and the show, and our show. It's what's, what's, what's what. Mm-hmm. So, on behalf of everyone, thanks again to for watching. Thanks again to Radio Westeros. Thanks again to everyone else. Thanks to all our supporters. And folks, we will see you next week. It's only episode two. We've still got a lot of Game of Thrones left. So a lot of fun, lots to talk about. Looking forward to it. Valar Morgulis. Valar reread us. Valar rewatch us. <laughs> All that. <laughs> she thinks I'm such a nerd for saying that. Yes. <laughs> but hey, I am. Like, I, that's that's just true. So, gotta be what you are. All right, everybody. See you next week.